Good evening. Hi, Eric. How are you doing? You gotta say hi, Jay. Okay, hi, Jay. That's the format, man. All right, sorry. <laughs> gotta be consistent. Hey, you, you were talking about before how jugglers had the lowest status in the circus. Wh what are you talking about? What do you mean? Uh, I was talking about circus school specifically. Oh, okay. I don't know, in the circus, maybe? Yeah, maybe we'll get to that, too. Well, can you elaborate a little bit more on... What, what do you mean, jugglers have the lowest status in the circus school? Um... Yeah, how do I explain that? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I know as a teacher, it goes like this. Oh, hey, Jay, Jay sorry. I, I know you're in the middle of class, but can you guys just move to another room? Because we're going to rig here for the for the trapeze. And you move to the other room, and then after a half hour, it comes and somebody says, Oh, hey, hey can you jugglers, can you just go over to the corner? Because we're going to do some roussier here on the floor. So I know that that kind of thing where jugglers are perceived to be more mobile, at least, than the other disciplines in the circus school. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's that. And I think it's also that maybe juggling is the least useful skill in terms of the other disciplines. I don't know. What do you mean? Like it's least physical. Like if you're an acrobat. The skills aren't as universal, or something? right? Maybe you can. You're you're used a little bit to you know being upside down, let's say, and mm. then you can stand on your hands a little bit, maybe, or you want to transfer those skills of spinning when you go up into some aerial thing. Like, I could I could see why there's there's perhaps easily more easily relatability between the other disciplines um than juggling i just felt like okay so i did four years of circus school myself well you had look you had a funny thing about circus school you told me once let's not forget this you said you know back when you started circus school what what year was that 1999 and you said back then when you first went to school it was just a miracle there was a school yeah so it was just like wow there's a school. I'm going to go there for circus. That's crazy. And then, you know, the next step in the evolution of, say, a juggling program at a circus school was, wow, I have class today with a teacher. That's cool. Like, that was the next step. It was, like, if just to say, at first, there was just a school that you went to. That was crazy enough. Yeah. And that you would have class one day. That was the next step. And what was even crazier than you having class one day was you having class one day with a juggling teacher. There you go. That was crazy. Oh, and not only do I have class with a teacher, but that teacher also knows juggling? That was weird, right? And then it, kind of the evolution of that process is, well, okay, now I have a juggling, now I have class all the time. Now I have a juggling teacher for class all the time. And then the evolution from that after you were out of school, long after you were out of school is, the students who went to that school eventually start to become sometimes that teacher at the school itself. That's kind of another level, you could say, of a progression of this juggling school education stuff. Yeah. Which I thought was funny when you pointed all that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was totally the development that I went through in terms of schooling. Uh, it was very, yeah, it was very primitive 
the school to begin with. Uh, I mean, the the story to that, there's a reason for that, and that is because <clears throat> this, so the school that I went to was Cirque Sukar had a one-year program, and they had done that one-year program one time before because they had gotten some kind of a grant from the government to do a one-year circus education. So they did that, and that's why it was called the Circus Pilots, because pilot, like a pilot program, pi pilot program exactly, like something you try once to see if it works out. Mm. So they, they did that one time, and then I think they had a year break because they did some production, and then they decided to do that same school one more time, but they didn't have a grant. Mm. So they had a much lower budget, but then they were like, okay, screw it anyways. We're going we're gonna to try to make the best out of it. So that was, the, that was the, which I had no idea about when I applied. I was just like, oh, there's a circus school and you can go there and you can juggle all the day. Uh, so, so that was what I came into. And then it was exactly what you were saying about the teachers and, and all of that. So, um, but then, so when that year was over, that school was made into a three-year education. So I uh, applied for that three-year education and got in. So that's why I did four years of circus school. No, but maybe I should be able to uh, specify more exactly why juggling, why I think that juggling had the lowest status, or maybe it's just like you're saying, like you're being pushed around in terms of space or you, I felt like there was always teachers for the other disciplines, whereas juggling a lot of times during those four years, we were kind of left alone. Um, there was no budget for a juggling teacher for a certain period or the te to find a teacher for juggling kind of came as the last in the order of priorities, so to speak. And I know, and also like looking around, that was my school and I still had juggling teachers every once in a while. But then looking around, I remember uh, Knack in France, they at some point, they just stopped with the jugglers. They just gave up. They just fired all the juggling teachers that they had involved with the school or fired. They just didn't hire them anymore and they just didn't take jugglers. Mm. Now I think they're back to having juggling. I don't know. Somehow. Yeah, uh, yeah I, mean, I know that there are people graduating every once in a while from there that and they have juggling as their specialization. So I don't know what the school, what the um, politics or... Yeah, what, what that situation is like, really. Maybe those jugglers have a, another discipline also. Mm. But, yeah, so that was that. and uh, Well, I think if you look around, I mean, another, not just during class time, they get pushed around, but it's always when you see the student productions, it's just like, oh, now we have to rig the Chinese pole. What should we, oh, while we're rigging the Chinese pole, maybe the juggler could go in front and do a little thing. Yeah. The juggler is always, I mean, talking about Kanak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, whatever other school, it's it's always like the juggler is kind of the filler in between the real stuff. And now we're really using language and we're really getting into the topic now, which is this self-esteem thing that you, you kind of started talking. You want to 
Should I? I can. Yeah, you can riff a little bit more on that, and I'll I'll see where you're going. <laughs> All right. Well, you came to me one day and you said, "Look, jugglers have bad self-esteem," and some of this idea, some of these ideas, I mean, they really flow directly from the defini- definition of juggling. When we talk about juggling as a self-identity, and we talk about juggling as an inspiration, but it's also what you were hinting at before about how do we externalize this conversation to the outside world. You want to have a definition of juggling or a technical definition of juggling? Well, how relevant is that to the person on the street versus the seasoned practitioner or whatever, right? And so there's this idea that juggling, I mean, you had a lot of of ideas around this, but that jugglers had bad self-esteem. And when you first told me this, I didn't really, I don't know if it's that I didn't believe you, um... I guess I couldn't personally personally relate to it, but then you started to give some really clear examples, and I could definitely I knew ex- immediately what you were talking about. And I think one of the one of the, the strongest things that you told me was that um, this idea of bad self esteem, which we can let's just for the moment assume that that's true. You, and you said, where does that come from? And you said, well, it's pretty easy. You can just look around the world that we live in. You can look at society at large. And you can even just look at the architecture of your environment as you walk down the street. So you walk down the street and you see, for example, a sports stadium. And you go, oh, that sports stadium is pretty big. I guess it took a lot of money and time to build that thing. And you go, oh, well, I guess sports is something that's pretty important to society at large. right? And you keep on walking and you see the opera house. Oh, opera. That's a, that's a big deal. They have a building for the opera etc etc you can walk past the theater you can walk past the the dance theater even here in stockholm we have the dance and Hoos. it's the dance theater where they have dance shows it's a specific theater just for dance um i mean and, and so and so following on from this kind of journey through your physical environment you start to realize that in one i mean on one on, in one way of looking at the world you can say well society is is investing in the infrastructure of how of, of things that holds important in terms of a hierarchy right and i just want to say that like, it was kind of funny when you told me this example because for me again being from ohio <laughs> i walk by the circus school and i go oh well that's cooler than yeah. like swedish society it's you know cooler than than culture or society in ohio at least but okay that's a little bit of a too specific i mean the point you were trying to make was this that as a juggler, circus artist, juggler, juggling, coming from the genre of circus, um, you can look around in the world and say, oh man, people people think sports is more important than juggling. There is no juggling stadium. And people think that uh, opera is more important than juggling because there is no juggling house. Like there's an opera house, right? And so you kind of, as a juggler, you maybe unconsciously, I don't know, but like in terms of the culture, you kind of get told your place you can just look around your environment and see where's where's your status and i don't need to take a walk through town to know that juggling is not as mainstream or popular or valued or funded as for example dance or music or whatever else you know sports for example and so therefore because as a as a juggler and Again, we can get all wrapped up into this idea of a juggler being a performer or being an artist or whatever. So let's just generalize and not get stuck. 
and you can say then as a juggler um how do you how do you react to this situation because i think that's what i'm putting words in your mouth but i think that was maybe your process of what called attention to this was that as jugglers we have a certain type of behavior and where do those behaviors come from and what do they mean and so for example one of the best examples i remember you told me was that jugglers and again this is all flowing from this idea of the definition of juggling and language and we talked about what does it mean to be a the word juggler and what does it mean to say the word drop or transition or trick or whatever um and just a just a little a little side note of that was that um or i, I was going to tell you that i was speaking of circus schools i was in toulouse teaching at the lido circus school there and it was going bad it was very very bad time for everybody for me and the students um i remember i arrived there and then the I said, okay, we're going to start juggling and, 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 and in a very specific way. Like, we're not just jamming around. <laughs> like, let's not start juggling. No, it was like, okay, everybody take a ball and we're going to do these kinds of exercises, uh, conceptual exercises to find some whatever technique we want to find, etc. And I remember the juggler said, you know, sometimes, like, because like, they were kind of reluctant to take the ball and start to do some physical movement with the ball. And he said, you know, sometimes we go on stage and we don't even juggle. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? And they're very, they were very proud of that. And I said, oh, you know what? Uh, that's called theater? <laughs> like, that already has a name. Like, again, I said, that has, that, you know, I go on stage and I don't even juggle. Like, as a juggler, I go on stage and I don't even juggle. That's how cool and elevated my... Yeah, how that has gotten like high up in some kind of hierarchy, that's a mystery, right? I, I don't even juggle. And I'm just yeah. like, well, to me, that sounds like if I think about somebody going on stage and not juggling, is there something like that that's already in the world? Well, for example, theater, yeah. <laughs> when an actor goes on stage and they're not juggling, I guess they're doing theater. Yeah. And that's like a whole thing you could study and like go to school for that. Yeah. And so, but anyway, so we were having a bad time together. And so, and I think when I teach, I mean, just to say, since I'm, I'm talking now, <laughs> I can say, I think when I teach, it's pretty easy. I mean, I, I don't say, okay, let's just go do some good juggling and then shut up and stand there with my arms crossed looking mad. I say, no, we take a ball and uh, uh, here, here's a classic assignment. Here's a classic Jay Gilligan assignment in school. T take a... Uh, let's say three clubs and do make a sequence that's five and a half throws long. Okay. Well, how many objects am I going to use? Well, he said three, but am I going to use balls or cigar boxes? No clubs, three clubs. But what am I going to do with them? Well, make a sequence with five and a half throws long. So you can do whatever you want, but you have to also do a specific task. So it's always this wide open, but specific. That's how I teach generally. Yeah. Right. And I understand how that can be a challenging exercise, but it's it's more having an intellectual discussion or like kind of an analysis of your work and a self-reflection about what how you're going to solve this little task of language. It's a, it's a word game, yeah. again, going back to language. So uh, I think it's not like the most difficult, challenging work. I'm telling you what to do, but you also have the freedom to do what you want with your own technique. It's not like, oh, take seven clubs and do back crosses and, you know... It, it's still wide open in terms of technique. So what do you want to do? 
And then, uh, so I said, okay, okay, this is going badly here in Toulouse. <laughs> so let's do something super easy. So I said, okay, okay, okay. Look, we're all suffering here together. Let's just, let's just be cool. Let's just change the mood. Let's just do something super easy. Everybody take your favorite trick. Just take one trick. Just pick your favorite trick. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, as a juggler, it's fun to do tricks. Because that's oh. what we start doing. And it's fun to have a favorite trick. It makes you happy because you get to choose your favorite thing. And so, of course, everybody in the room picks a trick. And I say, great, let's see one at a time your favorite trick. And then we're going to start to work with those in a very uh, a different way. So everybody shows their trick. And then, of course, one juggler takes three balls and does a sequence that's about a minute and a half long. And as he starts to juggle, I'm just there and I'm like, what's he doing? He's doing like 10 tricks. Now he's doing, he's done 20 tricks. What's going on? And of course he gets done with his minute and a half, you know, political statement basically. And I say, uh, hey, excuse me. Uh, can you just please pick your favorite trick from that sequence? And he goes, but it is all one trick. How can I pick my favorite? They all depend on each other. That you cannot separate them. It's blah, blah, blah. Like to be very pretentious and. So just this, that was just like a funny idea about, again, but coming back to what is a trick, okay, you can choose to define it as a longer span of time than a shorter span of time, but also having this idea of elevating yourself um, by positioning yourself in a different, I don't even juggle, right? right? And so, but, but, but coming back to this idea of, of looking around at the architecture and having bad self-esteem as a juggler, and one of the strongest things we do talking about language which you told me was, as jugglers, we borrow language from other art forms that are more valid than ours, and valid in terms of the eyes of, of society. Yeah. So I say, uh, wh hey, what do you, <laughs> well, let's, let's pick my current favorite one to not like, uh, <laughs> or the, the, my, my current, the, the one that annoys me the most is, Hey, what do you, hey, what you doing with your juggling? Hey, I saw you juggling, what you working on? Oh, I'm doing some research. And I did some trick research, whatever, you know, pick, pick an adjective, but I'm doing research. This idea of research in terms of the language of juggling, it's just so annoying because I find it so pretentious. It's just so completely, it's only there to make it sound what you're doing is more than what you're doing. Right. And I believe that so strongly to the, to the point that this idea of research is inherent to the DNA of what juggling is today. Going back to this idea that 1895, Paul Cinquevelli, juggling is this and it's not magic, it's not that. Talking about what are we working on today? I say the word juggling to you, you get an image in your head. That image is lots of different things. It has lots of different components, lots of different levels, lots of different associations. I'm telling you, inherently into the juggling culture that we have today, even when I started in 1985, it was already there, this idea of what people today are calling research. Because one big part of juggling is, you, you, hear, you hear it repeated all the time. Hey, why do you like juggling? And one of the things everybody always says is, juggling is infinite. Mm. I like juggling because it never ends. There's always a new challenge, right? Even if you're a technical juggler, not quote unquote a creative juggler, yeah. it's always a next step. And for me, this is re like that's what people mean when they're talking about this idea. Oh, oh, I researched some body throws today. 
Oh, did you? Or maybe you just juggled. I mean, yeah. do we really have to? It's, it, it, for me, it seems pretentious to have to pull that word out of the language and position yourself instead of just saying, like, what did you do today? Oh, I juggled. I mean, sure, maybe between you and a, a small group of friends, you could say I researched, like, if that gave an extra real meaning. But what I'm saying is nowadays it's, it's trendy in the culture everywhere on every level of the culture to mm. use the word research. And it's become so ubiquitous that it's lost all meaning, actually. Because I think what they mean when people say the word research, what they're actually talking about is they're just juggling. Like they're doing what juggling is when you do juggling. And part of juggling, sure, you can iterate technique, the process of how to learn a skill. But the other part of juggling, the other side of juggling that every single person, you know, you hear it all the time is, wow, juggling is endless. I love it that there's another variation, another variation. So this idea of borrowing language and that this idea that the word research makes it sound like, <laughs> hey, what'd you do yesterday? Well, I stood in an empty room and I took three balls and I threw them around for eight hours. Sounds uh, maybe a little bit pointless or a little bit like not so valid way to use your time. But if you say, what'd you do yesterday? Ah, oh, yes, I researched uh, body throws with three ball sight swap with the sight swap three. Mm suddenly you've elevated your language to you position yourself in a larger, you know, thought process and blah, 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 blah. And again, it depends on who you're talking to, right? Like we talked earlier about how it depends um, what you want to express to a certain group of people and be, and, and to be super clear, uh, like we were talking about object manipulation as a word that you might, you might say to a certain person to try to get into a certain context. Um, I have no problem with any of that stuff. I think there's two conversations happening all the time, generally. And I'm talking now as a, as a performing artist. There's the conversation you have internally to yourself to understand your work. But there's also the conversation you have to the outside world to externalize your work. And a, lot, a big part of that is also marketing yeah. and commercial, like commercial concerns. That's fine. That's a different conversation. I think the problem becomes when your external conversation... Um, you kind of take for granted as your internal conversation and you get really confused. So I can go tell the grant committee who's going to give me some state funding and I can say, oh, I was researching body throws with the site swap three. Right? That sounds maybe more valid than, well, I'm going to go in a room and throw three balls around for 10 hours and see what happens. But so, okay, I want to try to motivate, you know, in a certain direction to get money or, polit- you know, like respect or power, whatever, right? That's fine. That's another conversation. But internally, if I tell myself, today I'm going to go research blah, 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 that better be a truth and not Mm. just a buzzword. Mm. And you find this kind of language. um, I I find it also, I mean, and there's a million other examples of this, of of way to elevate your art form through using language. I wrote a routine. I choreographed a, a sequence yeah. Um, because, you know, writing comes from theater. I wrote a play. Well, you're not literally writing a trick. You're not taking a piece of paper generally. I mean, I know people who do this, but it's very rare. You take a piece of paper and a pen and you write down your trick. You're not. And, and then even even then, it's more of a pictorial kind of diagramming yeah. of, of, a, of a trick of a physical movement. Um, but we say, oh, I wrote a trick or I wrote a routine or I wrote a show. Yeah. That's from theater. Well, theater is way higher status than juggling is in this in this world right now in our society um or you say i choreographed this thing that's from dance or 
whatever. Um, but I also find it, um, going back to this idea of a technical language, um, this idea of, it, for some reason, street performers kind of take on this affectation a lot where, for example, they'll say, I'm going to juggle the razor sharp knives. And every time they say the word knives in their life, no matter if they're on in a performance or not, you know, in their everyday life, the razor sharp becomes a part of that, just that language. It just becomes incorporated. And again, that, that goes back to this positioning, what you're doing internally to what you're doing externally. Right. And it really, I don't know why it bugs me so much. I think it bugs me because I think there's a real danger of confusing the two conversations and I, and maybe it's the demands of street performing where you have to, you have to go through so much, um, not failure, but you know, you have to be really tough rejection. Yeah. Right. Because you have to fight to get that audience and you have to fight to validate yourself so hard that there's a certain type of energy and personality you have to cultivate to survive in that world. I mean, it's, it can be really tough. And so you're always kind of constantly many times, I mean, we can always find uh, examples of the contrary, but many times you're, you're constantly, um, promoting yourself. You're always hyping up and you're and in that way you say, oh, I'm going to juggle the razor sharp knives. Yeah. And then when you go, for example, to the IJA, uh, public show and you have, I don't know, pick a, pick a street performer who's been asked to come and do their act in front of all the jugglers. And they have the Dubai knives, the same Dubai knives that every other person in the audience owns. Yeah. No, juggle the razor sharp knives. I'm not, maybe that's a bad example, but when they go on a podcast, for example, and there's an interview with somebody, um, you know, David Aiken, the checkerboard guy, has this great podcast about the Buskers Hall of Fame, you know, started with, with Butterfly Man. And there's all these interviews with these, like a wonderful verbal history of the culture. It's really invaluable. But sometimes, you know, you get the, the performers on the podcast and they interview and they, oh, I do the razor sharp knives as the finale. Yeah. You're like, but, but no, 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 no. We're doing a technical language here. We're, we are, we're, we're jugglers here. We're performers. We're street performers at least. Right. I know they're not razor sharp. And that kind of use of that language, uh, kind of bothers me because I think we can be more accurate. We can be more honest and more descriptive and more productive if we would just say what it is. Um, also because it, it, this kind of goes, I, I mean, I'm wrapping a lot of things up here, mm. I know, into one big ball. But you talk about the, the, the history of juggling with how we describe juggling using language in the history of juggling. And that historically, the trend of how to talk about juggling, I guess the style of writing of the, of, of the media back in the day is like, and then the juggler moved the balls across the body as if they were droplets of water flowing. Like, it's metaphorical. Yeah. Instead of being really literally descriptive. Or it, maybe... Yeah, because there is no language to describe it. But it was po poetical. Yeah, Gen yeah. Generally, it's poetical. Like, they would maybe mention some biographical fact. But then the when it got to the juggling, it was never a technical language. Right. And so I think this idea of saying, I had razor-sharp knives as my finale when you go on a, you know, let's say a behind the scenes podcast about street performing and you, oh, then I do my finale and it's with the razor sharp knives. Well, yeah. just even as a historical document, I mean, now I'm really stretching here, but as a historical document, I think it's confusing because there's two choices. Either you're, you're, you're full of hyperbole, you're just doing your sales pitch. Mm. And in which case this is the wrong context for that. 
Or the second choice is you really are using razor sharp knives. Right. And, and, and then in terms of that, it's probably a terrible idea. Or there's like another component that goes along with that. Like, is the razor, like, it, or it, <laughs> terrible idea or not, it could bring up a, a, a huge conceptual question of like, well, then how does the audience really know they're actually razor sharp instead of fake razor sharp? Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. But being accurate with language, I think, is going back to this idea of writing a routine, choreographing a routine, razor sharp knives. Mm. What are we actually doing? And, and the reason, just to say, the reason you say they're razor sharp knives is because, again, you want to elevate what you're doing. They're not razor sharp. I, I guess not. Yeah. And But you want the audience to think that. Again, that's a whole th level of, of externalization and theatricality and commercial commercialization of the work. And that's another discussion. But the element is still there where you're doing one thing and you want to feel more valid or more or whatever. You, you yeah. want to elevate what you're doing. I, I think in one way you're into three different categories slightly that all they're all related because when I've been... It started off as observations of jugglers speaking about juggling for me. And I would hear the one thing I remember I noticed the, the first that became common was jugglers who were saying, We never practice. Mm. I never practice. That was a thing that someone could say and kind of be like proud of it, of that. Like, I only perform, I never practice. I never, you know, I, uh, I'm not interested. I don't waste my time on that. Right. <laughs> or, or I'm not interested in juggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That, that a juggler could say. And I was always confused by that because to me, both those statements kind of imply a little bit of stupidity because it's like, oh, okay, you're telling me that you're not interested in juggling, but yet you do it all the time and you have that as a profession. Mm. Well, maybe you should have chosen something else to do in life just to say, like, that could have been a more clever use of your time, perhaps. I don't, I don't think they see it from that perspective, but that was the thought that came to my mind. <laughs> and they, the other thing that I heard people say is like, oh, juggling is not important. Yeah. Like, it's the jokes, or it's the mm. something else, something else. It's like the juggling. It's not important. important. And another common one is the audience can't tell the difference. Mm. That was another classic one. And I'm just thinking, like, does any other field speak about their craft in this way? Mm. Like a musician who would go, like, oh, yeah, I don't care for music. Or, you know, music is not important. Yeah, maybe... Maybe that exists. I don't know, but it, it seemed odd to me. Mm. Well, a, or, a, a really terrible blanket generalization um, that I kind of grew up with from from observing that situation you just talked about is, you know, in America, and I think it's still perceived like this today that to to have a career as a professional juggler, you need to do comedy. Like that's the only way you can like like that's the main right. way that. You, yeah, you you, sh you gotta you gotta be funny and tell some jokes somehow yeah. and and whatever, um, and kind of the goal. Yeah. For me, just growing up, looking at what was happening, mm. the goal was always, you get successful and big enough and funny enough that you can stop juggling. Yeah. That was the ultimate goal. Yeah. Oh man! Finally, I got to the point in my career where I can just stop the juggling, just do the comedy. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I was like, and I, I mean, I still can't relate to that. Right, yeah. 
And then, but the funny, the the funny kind of parallel to that in Europe was a little bit. I don't think it's so true nowadays, but it's like it was for a while. Of man, I got so good at juggling that I could stop juggling and just do contemporary dance. Yeah, like there was a few jugglers for a generation there that was like, I finally broke through the arts. I'm valid enough that I can just stop, put the toys away and I just do movement. Yeah, and people pay me for that. <coughs> you yeah. know, so there was kind of that parallel of like. In both and in, in, in both America and Europe, though the goal was to stop juggling, right? Yeah, and that's what you're saying. That juggling is not important, and it's it's just yeah. Yeah, I mean there was a lot of a lot of things that were said by jugglers about what they were doing. I mean, there's a couple of others like people who would say things like, "I'm not really a juggler. I'm an artist," mm. or "I'm not really a juggler. I'm a performer." Yeah, that they wouldn't want to associate with well i know there's so many performers now especially in america who refuse to you to use the word juggling in their promotional material there you go because they well and, and again i can't speak to their personal experience obviously yeah but they say if they use the word juggler they won't get hired because juggling has such a, a bad stigma yeah maybe that's true maybe who that's knows? true who, who knows? knows but uh, it seems to me also that people do it for the sake of their own bad self-esteem with juggling let's say um well, it goes on to that idea of... Because that conversation, at least with the Americans that I know, um, many, many, many different performers who I talk to, they really struggle with that word juggling. And you can listen to all these podcasts with performers, the Variety podcast and oh. whatever other... You know, there's a million podcasts. Drop everything and you know with Dan. And, um, they always say that I can't use, I can't use the word uh, juggler or I won't get hired. And uh, I have no idea what the hell I was saying, so sorry. <laughs> no, no, but the, the the other the other observation comes. Oh from yeah, like... so then so I just remember. <laughs> um, no, but it, it's what quickly follows on from that conversation of I can't use the word juggler to promote myself, is that I I why not? And then they say, well, or or it's, it's perceived that uh, the general public hates juggling. Yeah. The, the 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 public hates jugglers. Yeah. And if they and if you call yourself a juggler and they're gonna like let's say you're on the cruise let's say you're working a cruise ship, and then you're advertised as you know come see juggler Eric, that the people in the on the cruise ship won't go see the show because juggling sucks or whatever. Yeah. Um, and okay, I I don't have such a strong stance, a strong leg to stand on here with this because I left America. Um, maybe let's say around the time I was 20 or whatever. Um, but I have, so, but I did perform up until that. I mean, I, I did have a good, uh, uh, yeah, 12 years performing in America before I left. And then since I've, I've left and moved to Europe, I have gone back to America many times with you and performed there. And in all of my experiences, I don't think in my experience, people don't hate juggling. You know what? They also don't like juggling. They don't think about juggling. It's not a thing. Yeah. But they like a good show. They like to see something that that's good of, of a certain quality or that speaks to them or whatever, right? Of any sort of discipline, of any sort of activity. I don't think it's intrinsic to juggling that people hate it or not, at least in my experience, in both Europe and America. It's this, this idea that, oh, people hate juggling. People... I don't think people actively hate juggling. I don't think people think about juggling. Yeah. It's just a thing that's there 
if you go up to somebody on the street and you say, hey, do you hate juggling? They're probably going to say, what? Because <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's, it's just an out-of-context question. It's not, a, it's not so ingrained in our society that you can say, yes, you wouldn't just automatically be like, yeah, I hate juggling. You'd just be like, wait, wait, why are you asking me this? That's a little bit random. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't, I don't, I don't think that... It's hard to generalize sure. the audience as one unity or one person that has mm. the same uh, opinion. Uh, but I, I, I've been thinking about it more in terms of like the internal picture that the juggler has mm. and where that comes from and what kind of expression that has been taking in terms of how we speak about juggling and how we present juggling and like those expressions like we never practice or juggling is not important or the audience can't see the difference or I'm a performer I'm not a juggler like mm. stuff like that kind of reminded me about that like okay why is that then the another thing that you're also very familiar with is all these taglines that jugglers have mm. specifically in in America that kind of put that you can tell that the well, tagline assumes that juggling is something crappy well the best one i mean is making juggling tolerable there you go that's one yeah <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a lot of lot of those, and like fair enough, like you can choose whatever tagline you want. But I'm just I'm trying to understand what the experience is that led up to someone using that tagline, and also if they agree, then why are why would they choose juggling? I'm, yeah, that that's that's also a little bit of a question for me, because you're free to do whatever you want in this world. Why choose something that you? <laughs> <laughs> think is you know right crappy i don't know so so but, but but back to what you were saying in terms of the writing of juggling or undoing research and mm. all of that like does that stem also from bad self-esteem mm. about juggling and that you have this bad self-esteem and then you try to elevate juggling to something else and i think that that could be the reason but i also think that there's there's also the reason of just habit you know like for example the razor sharp knives if you perform every day and you call your knife the ra razor sharp knives and then sure. you're suddenly in another context and you're going to talk about your knives well there is that chance that you just out of habit you refer to them as you always do mm. so you kind of have to give give them the the benefit of the doubt there let's say that it's just a habit and uh, the, the other thing is that also, like, in terms of the writing, in terms of, in terms of using research, in terms of the, these, these words now that we have imported from other artistic fields, in terms of talking about what we're doing and about our practice, it's, there's also this, you know, just a, cult, just a vocabulary in the culture that establishes itself mm -hmm. just like all other vocabulary and then sure. it just becomes you just speak about what you're doing because that's how it's currently spoken of and maybe your own analysis doesn't go beyond that oh absolutely so so but but it's still it's still interesting to think about because maybe this the bad self-esteem isn't in you but it's more it's more of something collectively that has yeah that has been 
gotten traction in in juggling as a field uh, i think it's worth thinking about what what kind of consequences that we have what th that that has on what we're doing in terms of our opportunities and in terms of our, our work situation or aspirations or aspirations like what do we want out of this thing yeah like if we choose to be jugglers and if we choose to spend our time with juggling like what situation do we in, do we in uh, aspire to be in that we find you know that would be optimal and if i'm going to spend my time doing juggling i certainly want to elevate juggling in in the ways i can i mean one of the most incredible things i ever heard in my whole life was when michael motion told me that he he aspires to 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 be to do work that's on the same level as michelangelo and i'm not saying he believes that he is doing that you know but he that he even dares to speak that artist's name yeah in the same breath as juggling I have never in my life heard someone else say that. And that was so powerful. The day he said that to me, I, I'm never going to forget it. And I think about it all the time that, you know, Michael Motion, he, he at least considered the, the, off the possibility that it could exist, that juggling could maybe somehow one day be up to this level of Michelangelo. It's even so hard now between me and you sitting here to say that because juggling has this, like you were saying, ingrained maybe fabric or, or culture of, of yeah not being so elevated and talked about in that context it sounds almost so ridiculous and so conceited to even to even say that out loud but that he that he dared to compare to compare potentially compare work yeah to, it, it was just it was just completely crazy completely inspiring yeah me too i remember those conversations too like that was really there was really something there just to think about that uh, and I think he, he, he many times he mentioned the statue of David for an example exactly and it's like that there is a risk of doing that because of course you could easily be ridiculed for that yeah well just to say too he was uh, also more specifically generally talking about making his work timeless in that way it wasn't just maybe just about achieving some sort of whatever other quality you want to... Because, again, the Statue of David and Michelangelo, there's so many other cultural contexts for that work. And I think he also, he often um, would cite the quality of timelessness, that that's kind of what he wanted his work to strive for, was a yeah. sort of timelessness that the statue had. And I thought that was really just next level. Nobody ever... I had never heard anybody talk about juggling like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, me too. It's like it was like he was talking about timelessness and also something that spans over all cultures and to all ages. Yeah, right. And and it's it's fun to talk about you know Michael Motion's work in this at this moment in the conversation because a lot of this bad self esteem of jugglers is manifested in. Um, and again, not to get caught up with the whole marketing side of things, but juggling and oh, what are you doing? I'm doing juggling and dance. Oh, I'm doing juggling and music. I'm doing juggling and juggling and, and, and. 
and what? Well, and something that you already know is a valid art form. There you go. And so, therefore, I'm associating juggling with this other thing that, that people have already accepted as being worthwhile. Yeah. And therefore, that elevates the juggling to another level, right? So, if you, I mean, just think about a, a casual contemporary conversation. Hey, what, you want to go see a show? Yeah, yeah, what's the show? Well, it's a juggling show. Oh, okay. Or, hey, you want to go see a show? Yeah, sure, what is it? Well, it's juggling and dance. It's juggling in music. Pick anything. Juggling in storytelling, juggling in fashion or whatever. Yeah. And suddenly it's way more, yeah, I don't know, valid. But that's that's why I like Michael's work is because he wants to talk about Michelangelo sometimes or refer to the Statue of David sometimes or whatever, right, behind the scenes in a private conversation about the process. Um, but his work is juggling. Michael's not doing juggling and music yeah he has the triangle where he bounces the balls around in the triangle and makes complex rhythms but he's doing juggling he's not slapping a layer of you know he's not juggling in the triangle and then putting you know mozart's whatever music on top of it and then saying oh well you should come see my juggling because you can also hear mozart's uh, wonderful <laughs> masterpiece and then therefore that's why it's worthwhile um, and yeah, he does movement in his juggling too, but that's not slapped on top as an extra layer. I mean, I mean, Ben Richter really is the first person I ever saw do juggling and dance where it was integrated because previous to that and many times, I mean, countless times after that, um, after his first uh, uh, club routine in, in uh, Circus Conspiracy, um, you would do a little juggling and you would stop juggling and then you would do a dance movement and when that movement was done you would juggle again and then stop and then do another <laughs> etc right there was always one and then the other and ben really blended those two it's the first time i can that i know of at least that that juggling and dance was something together and not just as a layer slapped on top to make it seem like it was something else or something better or something more that as an excuse as a way to to pull in an uh, uh an, an audience and say, well, this is worth your time or a presenter or a producer or whatever. So there are these other, yeah. So there's all these ways that people try to validate their art form by adding to other, adding other layers on top that aren't integrated. But Michael was a great example of, of somebody who made the juggling itself right. the, have the timeless quality and things like that. Yeah. 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 I wonder what would I mean? Of course, people can use whatever language they want, and they have whatever relationship that they have to juggling. But I wonder what it would take for juggling to get to a place where it's not uh, something you have to kind of uh, apologize for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, again, it, it really depends on what kind of context you're going for and, in, and what's your end goal. Yeah. Because, um, like, there's another example of language that, yeah, I see with jugglers do it too. It's also circus people in general tend to do this. And they say they'll post a photo um, from the studio and they'll be juggling, you know, or a video or something where they're doing, like, a, whatever, seven club pirouette. And, the, and the caption will say, another day at the office. 
right? And the whole point of this language of another day at the office is that it's absolutely not another day at the office. It's an ironic little twist and a wink of saying, look how crazy I am, right? You, another day at your office, you're just sitting there at the computer and isn't that boring, but look at me, my, my job, my office, my work is so exciting and different and exotic and weird and bizarre. So at the same time, whereas people try to uplift and validate what they're doing as associating with more normal things, yeah. at the same time, they want to play this card of I'm so weird. And personally, I hate this idea of another day at the office. Because it's, it's, again, it's implying that it's, it's not another day at the office. It's wacky. It's off the wall. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's counterculture. It's, you know, it's something super special and different. Um, and I think what you were just saying, you know, a couple of minutes ago, where it's like, do you want to normalize these activities? Do you want to, like you say, can we get juggling to a place where it's not seen as a... You have to apologize for it. You have it. to apologize yeah. for it. And I think it's like, and, and it goes back to that thing too of like not only calling them razor sharp knives, but the implication is that I'm crazy for juggling them. Yeah. And the funny thing is for me, like, and again, this isn't like an intellectual word game where I'm trying to one up you and be more clever than you. But really sincerely, it, it, I can't wrap my head around it because you're a juggler. If anybody should juggle razor sharp knives, it's you. It's your job. It's literally your job. So it's not crazy that you do it. It's crazy if a dentist would juggle razor sharp yeah. knives. That's crazy. But it's not crazy when a dentist works on your teeth. Right. But how come every time you have the razor sharp knives, you it's it's implied that it's it's completely insane that you're going to juggle them. Yeah. And again, okay, we're talking about context externalizing the work and maybe we're talking about commercialization and whatever other conversation, but sure, it's still part of the the general culture about how you want to be perceived and how juggling is perceived uh, in relationship to other things. And so when you say like, Oh, another day at the office and just here doing my cool little trick. <laughs> um, I wish you really could post a, make, make a, make a photo or a video with a caption. And it really honestly was just another day at the office. And somebody could look at that and go, Oh yeah, well they do in the Southern clubs. Okay. Yeah. Because then you could move that conversation forward to other qualities that were more nuanced, maybe more deeper, maybe more, I don't want to say valid, but <laughs> I don't know, no. more fun. <laughs> no, I guess it's, it's like, it's, it's, a it's a comment on how the language that we use when we speak of juggling and how we present it and that, that I think could be thought through. Mm. I think that's what I'm what I was getting at when I was <laughs> saying that thing of jugglers have low self-esteem. Mm. Um, but I never thought of that before like that. I mean, it brings up all these other sort of unconscious and ingrained. It feels like in terms of juggling, like, Many times when I talk to you that I'm I'm just in a box and I didn't know I was in a box. And then you call me or we go on a car ride and you tell me something and I realize that I wake up and I'm like, oh, I was in a little box. I was in a bad self-esteem box, right? And it feels like I'm always uncovering these new kind of walls or walls in the form of traditions or, or 
things that I take for granted inside of the work that I never questioned where they came from. I never, never even thought it would be relevant to, you know, when I was growing up, oh, I wrote my routine. And I never thought that by using the word wrote or write that I would somehow be perpetuating some sort of stereotype or, you know, internal maybe struggle never even occurred to me. And I think there's many, many of these boxes that we're in just through, for no reason, just through happenstance, just through how things evolved. I mean, this idea that, oh, juggling is a part of the circus because you try to make some sort of intellectual reason why juggling is part of circus. Well, circus is just a collection of random things. That's just how it was. That's just the story. Yeah. And you can find parallels between juggling and handstand and acrobatics and whatever. Yeah, sure. Human skill, practice, you know, physicality, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, historically, the way this genre of circus formed, that juggling was part of it, is completely random, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, here's one one question that I that becomes relevant to me when I think about this stuff, and that is. If we don't speak about juggling in an elevated way, like that it's something that the, that is valuable in like how we talk about it and how we present it and, and, and such, why would the people outside of, of juggling take juggling to be something valuable? Right. Yeah, there's no motivation. <laughs> I mean, the other part of it too is you can have this idea that there's this idea of oh man theater gets so much more respect dance gets so much more respect than circus and then you can say juggling and you're even proposing that you know inside of circus that juggling is has a lower status than maybe acrobatics or whatever right um but actually i have to say as a professional i'm super happy to be in the genre of circus and i'm super happy to be a juggler um and that was never conscious or intentional. It was just, that's just how my life ended up. And I never, you know, made a choice based on any of these criteria. But I, I, well, I just started juggling for fun and then it turned into this career. And then I kind of looked around and said, oh, I'm not in a bad position. Because at the same time, I find a lot of these people trying to elevate their work through using, while well, I'm doing juggling and whatever, um, I never want to be, I don't actually want to be a dancer or an actor because there's a hundred thousand million out of work dancers and actors. And it's so much best, better in one way professionally to be special, to be kind of outside of that. And then sure, my opportunities are less. It's a smaller pond, but I'm a bigger fish in a smaller pond. There's not so many jugglers. I mean, in Sweden, right? I mean, right, right. especially. Yeah. So it is kind of this fight between that's maybe why the, the street performer is going to say, I'm going to juggle razor sharp knives and like it's going to be so crazy. Because, yeah, there is a value. There is a commercial value, at least, to being crazy, to being an outsider in one way, to being something special that's not normal. And so it is kind of this internal fight with the language and with the way we relate to juggling, where on one hand, you want it to be accepted and valid and, and respected. But then on the other hand, you also maybe sometimes want to position yourself as the weird thing or the odd thing out or the special little kind of underdog even. Yeah. Kind of helps. 
Yeah, I do think that juggling has, uh, I mean, I share a lot of your uh, opinions there about being lucky on, on being a juggler. Like, I think that juggling has had a, a lot of value for me outside of, of juggling itself and that I think is, is worth pointing out and, and uplifting. And the one thing that I would say... Um, was this, I, I thought a lot about this quote by uh, a guy, a musician called Ian Mackay. And he talked about skateboarding as uh, an activity that, that teaches you to redefine the environment, redefine the environment that you're in. Because you're there and you have your skateboard and then you approach, let's say, a, a curb. And a curb is a curb, it has, been created for a specific reason there but as a skateboarder that approaches this curb you redefine the function of this curb what's going to happen there and how you're going to use that curb you don't use it in the conventional way so and and when i heard that that was really that was a really powerful statement to me about how skateboarding then teaches you something about the, the the world outside of itself and i thought a lot about juggling in terms of that same context and we don't perhaps redefine our environment but i think what juggling teaches us is that we juggling teaches us to redefine objects and the use of objects because if we get an object in our hands that's used for a specific function, then a juggler constantly asks this question of like, how can that be repurposed? How can that be redefined, that use? And how can this thing be used in a different way? So in that way, I think juggling is, is really, really special. Yeah, good. I mean, if you want to talk about that, that good quality of juggling, I mean we should definitely say that what is the what is the alternative to making to making an excuse for juggling what is the alternative to apologizing for juggling why why would you not do that there you go and so this idea that i have to do juggling and dance to make juggling good oh. well wait wait a second then what is juggling without dance so i have this thing that i always kind of say to myself and if if it comes up if you know in a conversation and i always think that's a it goes like this for me. Juggling uh, can be used as an art form, right? And like you say, juggling is an activity. If you use it for an artistic activity, it's, it can be an art form. And it's an art form that's valid to itself. It means that there is expression to be found in juggling that cannot be found in any other way. And for example, that's why juggling is called juggling uh, today. Uh, instead of, say, puppetry. So if juggling today would express the same qualities, have the same opportunities of expression as puppetry, well, we would either call puppetry also juggling or juggling also puppetry. We, we could use the same word, but we don't. We have puppetry. We have dance. I mean, you can say dance with an object or whatever. Um, puppetry, juggling, and then you have dance with an object. But they're separate things. And so... Sure, the question can become the the question can come next and say, well, if juggling expresses something that's unique, uh, 
that nothing else expresses, then what does it express? And okay, without <laughs> without um, being too pretentious, well, the thing that it expresses is you, I can't tell you with words. Because if I could, then juggling would be storytelling, or juggling would be singing, or something. I don't know. So I find, but I find something valuable inside of juggling. If you ask me to try to struggle to articulate in some sort of like, what could I even to give you a sense of what could I even mean of what juggling could express that's unique to itself? Well, I find something about the shapes and the patterns that that the objects make as a whole, as a collective. If you zoom out from a pattern. Like the, the shape of a seven ball cascade, I find to be something, I don't know, that, that I find some sort of intrinsic like value there that I can't, I can't articulate better than that, other than it's a kinetic pattern that's moving all the time and that it stops when I stop. It's one of these things that Ivar calls time arts. It's one of the arts that is in time. It happens in time. I find that to be relevant to the types of shapes it makes and the, in the, and also there's something about what you were saying before where juggling teaches us about the world around us, but I don't mean teaches us in a pedagogical way, mm. <laughs> but more of a, more of a, well, we could say intuitive way or unconscious way or a, a, a hidden way, but it, it teaches us. I mean, it, we can see how the world works through juggling in surprising ways. We can learn about the world around us in surprising ways through watching juggling. Sometimes, you know yourself, like when you watch the first time Michael motion is in the triangle, bouncing the balls around. Well, sure. You could, um, maybe have guessed, Oh yeah. Like as an intellectual exercise, Oh, maybe if I stand in a triangle and throw a ball, it, it might go in different directions. But when you see Michael actually do it and at a, such a high level and such an intricate pattern, it really gives you something more that you couldn't maybe have uh, experienced. I mean, okay, I don't want to be as, uh, yeah, I don't want to start to say like, well, he teaches us about geometry in a deeper way. But he definitely gives us something about the how the world works through watching the balls go around in the triangle. It's something about gravity and how objects behave and interact with their environment and with a human body. Yeah. That's that's some sort of truth I find there. I mean, I, I've said one thing before that maybe I could elaborate a little bit on. And I've, I've said that juggling is like a sculpture that lasts for a little, really short time. Mm. And th there is more to that, I think. I think that juggling is it's some kind of form that is continually made it it it, it um, there's a frequency of that form that is becomes created by the activity of juggling and that frequency comes from this synthesis between gravity and anatomy and and and, and you know existence in physical space for the human body and, and our physical ability. Mm -hmm. So there is something there by the, that form that is that is made in that space-time that I think is really, really special. I think it's really funny we're here having this conversation and all these quote-unquote big words or high concepts are coming out. What I think is funny, though, is that these truths are not so dramatic in the in kind of the everyday life of the work. 
when we're doing the juggling and when we're making the show and we're doing the performances, I don't get stuck or hung up on these huge thoughts that we're sharing right now. I mean, I just want to say that's important because there is this cultural romanticism about the mystery of art or the mystery of expression. Like we have this, these ideas that um, inspiration, for example, should be, you should be struck by lightning and that you should just have, you should just be inspired because that's how, like, that you're, that the poem just popped into your, into existence in your head or that you suffered enslaved for years through a terrible circumstance to overcome that, to share this epiphany of hope and whatever, love, right? That we have these, all these huge romantic, dr very dramatic ideas. And like the, the description you just had of anatomy and space and all these things, it sounds very dramatic. But in reality, I find what I think, what I find so nice about juggling, or so, not even nice, that's a terrible word, but so valuable. We're talking about justifying juggling here. What is valuable is that juggling is so accessible to these huge experiences that you're talking about, anatomy, space and time, interacting, blah, blah, blah. Juggling is so accessible on a very human level. It's not dramatic. And that's what I think is very valuable about it. It's subtle. It's so, there's a subtlety to the expression of juggling. I can't articulate it better than that, but I think intuitively or, you know, <laughs> inside of me, I really, I really feel this relationship that the expression of juggling is valuable in the way that it's, it is undramatic. I mean, <laughs> of course, in one way, not in the skill, because that's another thing. I'm not talking about the skill of juggling. That's very dramatic. That can be very, you know, oh, doing the seven torches and whatever. I mean, there is that human condition, the human condition element of the reaction to skill. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what does juggling express as an art form. And for there, I think it's a very accessible, in, in a different way than even in a more concrete way than maybe lots of dance and music because you you're you're working with that's that's the fun thing about juggling is that it's concrete yeah it's a physical activity that's concrete um and because there is a little bit of an element of skill it's generally pretty clear if you've succeeded or failed like i don't want to get stuck on that as the main point of the work which yeah. many people do did you drop or not like that's not yeah. the end of the work for me but there is that that concreteness of succeed, of succeeding or failure that really gives a truth that's maybe a bit different. It's a different kind of emotional connection than listening to a sonata or watching a dance dancer, contemporary dancer move in a circular fashion that you know gives an a, a different sort of association. I don't know how it is for you, but I find this kind of concrete physical reality very very valuable. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do think that juggling can, you can of course read in a lot from from viewing juggling, but it also, it is it has that concrete aspect to it, that it's also like, and circuses, in in that in in many regards, not just juggling, but it's like, in in if you take theater for an example, like you. You have actors and they they represent something right they're not the the man and the woman they're not a married couple for real let's say they're representing this mm -hmm. and they're, they're acting this out whereas a juggler if you're juggling five balls like you are juggling those for real it's not a representation and then there is something there i think that it's it's um 
but this is generally a problem with with lots of circus, not just juggling. That 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 jugg that that circus again, um, the way the way circus. I mean, and juggling too. This is very relevant to juggling. It's the same story for juggling. But the way circus is bought and sold these days is generally under the umbrella of theater. Yeah. And this is for many different reasons. Well, I mean, one of the main ones being that the producers. Um, they can relate to theater. They know that theater has a higher perceived value and a higher status. And circus is still an exotic, unknown, kind of untested or unvalidated thing. So if you put circus in under the umbrella and juggling, by by the way of circus, under the umbrella of theater, suddenly it's okay. And so then you have this idea that having circus or juggling in a theater show, again, let's say Romeo and Juliet is a very easy example. Well, we know that they don't, literally drink poison and die but we suspend our 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 disbelief and that we still cry because they died because it's so sad yeah. we, we we allow ourselves to dive into that fantasy but suddenly when you're juggling five balls in romeo and juliet well that's not a fantasy that's actually happening so, so there is some sort of intellectual disconnect there or discord or yeah, totally. suspension of disbelief. And that's generally why those things fail. Mm. That the only expression you generally, and again, very general here, but the main expression you get from juggling in a theatrical context in terms of that is the, the meta expression. It is then either expressing juggling yeah. back on it. Like we went to a carnival yeah. Romeo and Juliet went to a carnival. There was a juggler, and then yeah. there's a juggler on stage juggling five balls. I can still be in the fantasy yeah. with Romeo and Juliet because, well, they went to a carnival. Yeah. Or then you're still talking about some sort of skill or some sort of yeah meta level of, of re self-referential juggling yeah. there. Yeah. And that's generally where those things kind of fall down. But you were talking uh, in an earlier episode, you brought up this idea that as an art form we kind of, <laughs> you were talking about Duchamp and how, you know, juggling maybe isn't even on the same level as where Duchamp had started from to, to do this, um, to, to get away from retinal art, yeah. for example. And so it kind of brings up this idea that there is a spectrum here. Yeah. We have a spectrum where on one hand, you have an art form that's skill-based, that's appreciated somehow for its, or skill-evaluated. I don't know what the, the term is. Yeah. But it's only valuable in terms of its, the analysis of its skill, its presentation of skill. And in that way, you might even, if you don't want, I mean, you don't have to kill me here, but if you'll allow me, I could say ballet, like Swan Lake, maybe. Swan Lake could all, if we take, bear with me here, mm -hmm. if we take dance uh, kind of on this spectrum, Maybe on one end, maybe nearer towards this end, we could have Swan Lake, for example, where it's, it is about how high they jump. It is about how fast they spin. It is about Barishnikov doing the, you know, 23 pirouettes or whatever, right? And in, in the film White Knights or whatever it was. And then on, and then you have this spectrum as, and it goes towards the other end where the, the, the work is very conceptual, like it does happen in your mind. You mean like Jackson Pollock or? Sure, exactly. Or if you t if you take a, a, a I don't have a good uh, <laughs> a ready-made uh, uh, analogy with dance again, but it would be that where the choreography perhaps is the is the valuable thing, not not how fast they not not any quality about how mm. fast they move. Not maybe maybe they don't even move. Yeah. Maybe they lay on stage for an hour, two hours long, and well, you sit you, you sit there and <clears throat> contemplate, and it's it's the exact opposite of it's the conceptual 
framework that's that's the valuable part of the performance of what you should uh, get the expression from maybe yeah, yeah so then you have this spectrum and so the question becomes then um and maybe we've kind of already talked about it a little bit but just to say um if on one end we have right now juggling as a skill-based art form yeah. what can we strive for with juggling to move beyond that like what are like what is there any other parts of the spectrum you can kind of um articulate now yeah i mean the first thing i would say of course i don't want to invalidate that part of the spectrum i just want us to well just to be, recognize what we're talking about exactly like yeah. what, can we look what other possibilities there are and not like dismiss everything just because it's not what we're usually commonly seeing I think that would be a mistake um, because development can be interesting and we should allow ourselves some development within our field as well. <laughs> and then that's why I think it's it's worthwhile looking beyond that spectrum of what's currently possible, especially if some kind of progression that could be mapped onto jogging has already been done in other artistic fields. I think at least the mental exercise of mapping that onto juggling just to see what you end up with that's yeah. certainly interesting yeah uh but yeah what was your question again what would we yeah i mean i mean what could be if, if it's a skill-based art form right now yeah. which i think that's very easy to talk about with juggling and understand what we mean by skill-based i think so too yeah but what could be a proposed either middle of the spectrum or even like the extreme other end of the spectrum do we have any sort of idea of because again it goes back to this idea that um, juggling expresses something that's unique to itself that makes it y you don't need to validate juggling with something else it right. validates itself through being a unique <laughs> a unique thing I, I mean that that progression in terms of like if we go back to other art forms again like if we go back to Duchamp like he put that uh, toilet or yeah the <laughs> urinal the urinal yeah he put the urinal the in fountain the, yeah in the in the gallery and of course people were really upset so maybe we don't have to do, mm -hmm. maybe we don't have to be upset in, in juggling. Like we can be smarter here yeah. Uh, because we can be aware of other artistic expressions and other artistic development, not just our own artistic field, right? Yeah. So I think that we, we have the, really the opp opportunity to make like leaps here. Mm -hmm. We can, of course, we can we can play around with the idea of something similar in, in juggling. And people have, just to say, sure. played with the idea of ready-mades, let's say. Right. That you just take something from... Like eating a, eating a pot of yogurt with a spoon. There you go. There you go. And you, that becomes a juggling sequence. It's, it's a ready-made image. Exactly. Yeah. And, and also, like, now since we're, like, as a community, we're so, we have been pretty ignorant also about the history of juggling. Well already now we're like we can look back to history some things that have been forgotten like people were doing ready-mades in juggling already in the in around 1900 like salerno had a famous routine where he was writing a letter and the the, the routine was uh retrieved from the actual activity of writing a letter mm. so you would write the letter you would put the letter in the envelope and you would put the 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 envelope in the mailbox mm. and that's what he did 
I think the routine starts with him getting a letter. So he first opens a letter mm -hmm. with a knife and throws the letter into the air, opens the letter with a knife, cuts it in the air, catches the thing, throws out the, the paper that was inside the envelope, reads the letter, decides to write a response, writes the response, throws, folds that up, throws that, catches that into a new envelope, closes that envelope up and then throws that envelope into a mailbox. <laughs> right. So, and that's interesting to juggling. And I mean, maybe he even did that before Duchamp, which I never actually thought of, <laughs> right, right. which is kind of interesting. Sure. And I, I think we could make observations like that about our own, you know, artistic field. Mm -hmm. uh, and just, you know, experiment both in terms of like if we when we find something that is truly interesting to ourselves yeah sure we can we can try it and, and as a community i think we can we can try to be a little bit more open-minded when we receive those those works mm. and also be conscious about what has been done in in other fields and and Right, right. Yeah, yeah, there could be interesting discoveries, I think. Well, like you're saying about being a little bit more open-minded, I mean, I, I should also say, <laughs> I don't want to forget to say that this idea that you could combine juggling and dance and juggling and music, that doesn't, like, that doesn't mean you, I mean, you can do that. I mean, you can do whatever you want, right, obviously. But I mean, there's also maybe, ah, this is a terrible way to express this, but there's maybe a more valid way to do that than not to do that. Um, what I mean is like, like go back to the ben, ben Richter example of the dance with the three clubs that he did. He really, I think, integrated it. I think the combination of dance and juggling gave both the dance and the juggling a new information, at least yeah, a new, some kind of synthesis happening. It yeah. was a new level of expression there that, that didn't, that one could, wouldn't have without the other. And there's a big difference between that and just slapping a layer on top of whatever. And that's where you have like the, the typical you know youth circus aesthetic or the IJA championships where there's a theme of well I'm going to be Indiana Jones, juggling and then I put on the Indiana Jones fedora and I have the whip and I play the Indiana Indiana Jones theme music, but then I still go do my five ball back crosses. Well, the juggling has nothing to do with anything. There, it's nothing to do with Indiana Jones. I mean, in theory, it's in in, in concept it is possible to do Indiana Jones juggling. But what that would be, I cannot tell you. <laughs> but I can say in concept, I do believe it's true. And I'm going to get there and prove it to you. <laughs> but okay. I just want to say that this idea of slapping an extra layer on is a big difference. And, and, slapping, and, and slapping that layer on for maybe the reason of validating your work or elevating your work are also merely slapping that layer on because you're interested in both things and that kind of starts to be a trend now too right if we want to now we're diving a little bit into politics but you know it's been very trendy the past few years at least here in sweden and in different contexts of different shows uh, uh, different venues you can say oh uh first of all just to recognize and, and we're going back to bad self-esteem oh you're doing a juggling show well, what's it about Mm, yeah. has to be about something. Okay, well, if generally, if I had a dance show, a contemporary dance show, that question is maybe not so relevant. I mean, 
for sure on some level the producer is gonna before they hire the show oh, what's the show about but it, not as a not in the same way not not with the same weight of like well what's your pajama show what's it about you need again this theatrical context and it's been really trendy the past few years to, to pick a hot topic a hot button topic that's relevant to the to the world like on a on a on another level so you say well i'm doing juggling about climate change or i'm doing juggling or a circus show i mean very literal example i'm doing a circus show about refugees right and this idea then you know the thing is you could you could juggle for climate change and have the theme of climate change not just be a level not just be a layer slapped on top of the same five ball back crosses where that layer is there to I don't know, get attention or to, to solve a political situation or, again, elevating it to relevance, to make it relevant to society. Because, you know, juggling is not relevant to society. But if I'm doing juggling for climate change, well, that's pretty relevant right now to society. You could do climate change juggling. You could actually do it. I don't know how you would do it. I think conceptually you could actually do it. It would be really hard because I think, first of all, as an art form, uh, we've already talked about this, that it's 40 years old. So we don't really have a lot of examples or, or history or experience to kind of reference when trying to make work like that. It's very hard to point your finger at something and, and kind of use it as a, as a reference or a touchstone or even just plain copy it um, because we, don't, we have a very, very short history of the art forms. That's one kind of downfall. But the other thing is juggling is good at you know, we talk about juggling expressing something special to itself that nothing else expresses. Well, I personally so far haven't found juggling to be very useful to express uh, concrete things or especially concrete narratives, but concrete concepts even, or that's not true, but, but yeah, like climate change is not the type of expression that juggling is generally good at. But climate change would be, for example, a theme that theater would be great at. Maybe even music or singing, at least, where you could use language and literal words to very clearly state and say what you want to say about climate change. But the kinds of techniques that we possess right now with juggling, the types of objects we use, the, the kind of way we work with juggling these days, it, at least as far as I can tell, there, it's very good at, ex at expressing um, abstract concepts, right? But concrete concepts, or that's maybe the wrong word, concrete concepts, but uh, because you, you have the concrete concept of gravity and geometry, for example, Michael Motion's triangle, that's not, uh, <laughs> that's not, that's not abstract. That's pretty, pretty clear. But what I mean is uh, juggling is definitely, well, as all the art forms are, they're, good and bad at expressing different types of of things and i think that when when we have these ideas about again bad self-esteem or, or maybe not even bad self-esteem but it could just be plain marketing or but relevance to the world i mean and we have a theme like i'm going to do a juggling show about whatever climate change or pick pick a hot topic right now or, or recycling environmentalism all, all these things um and you had said a really fun thing uh, last year to me that because you were investigating th there's a PhD program at the circus school in Sweden there's a, a bachelor of the arts program in circus there's a master 
master's program, and then there's a PhD level of performative practices or something like this, and then you can do some circus in that, and you could have a PhD um, in the field of circus, right? And you were saying that trying to understand the criteria by which this uh, PhD is kind of evaluated on or, or valued on somehow, and you said a really uh, profound thing that we have this art form, which is, we can say, circus and, and juggling through circus. And the people who practice that art form, they want to have a conversation with other art forms and they want to be on the same level. So they want to meet the, maybe even, not even an art form, but they want to meet the chemist. Or they want to meet the, or another art form like literature, PhD or, or whatever, pick pick a pick a thing, a mathematician, or pick pick whatever. And you want to you don't want to go into that conversation, going back to this bad self esteem thing, and have that conversation, and then you, you say to the <laughs> whatever the the chemist, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on uh, you know global warming. It's uh, we're making this new chemical that's gonna blah 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 and cool off the polar ice caps. What are you doing? And you go, well, I'm a juggler, and I got this. Circle I made into a triangle. <laughs> Tom Kidwell made it in his basement in California. <laughs> but it was Iman's idea, in blah, blah, you know, etc. Yeah. That's not an equal conversation. So, and I'm not saying we shouldn't strive. because it, it goes back to also a little bit of micromotion with Michelangelo. I mean, of course, you want to strive to be relevant. And you want to strive to, to be universal and, and have an impact on the world. I'm not saying we shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, desire to achieve those things so i'm not saying you can't have those conversations with the other art forms around us or whatever the other you know the other activity the other activities in the world but i think it's a danger again to confuse that conversation to to step into that arena and say at least to yourself and really believe it and say well i'm doing juggling for climate change i'm doing juggling about climate i I don't even know how to talk about I'm doing juggling that expresses climate change or some opinion, I guess, about climate change. Yeah. Well, sure, that's a conversation you can have at a cocktail party at the PhD luncheon or whatever, right? To kind of impress your colleagues to, to, so that you're not just talking about different sizes of circles. Well, Babash made this tiny ring that you can't fit over your head, right? That's the conversation in juggling. Real, honestly, that's yeah, that's yeah, the innovation. That's not a joke. That's yeah. the innovation yeah. of the. Con- okay, I'm I'm being a little bit unfair, and I should take a cue from our own conversation here and ele- and ele- elevate that because I mean, we have Diago making five different size rings and sanding them by hand for forty hours each and whatever. I mean, it's a, it is a, it isn't as bad. I'm I'm trying to make a, l- a stupid little point here, mm. but um, so sure you can go to this little PhD shindig, and you can try to talk really cool about what you're doing to somebody else, that's fine. I think the danger for me is that when you get into this situation where you start believing it yourself, or you start confusing yourself, basically, and you're saying, well, I'm doing juggling for whatever, pick, pick a, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, what you're, what you're getting at is like, if we pretend that juggling is more developed than it actually is, what, what do we have to gain from that? Exactly. Yeah. Where where does that put us? Well, well, no, that's the thing. I mean, you can maneuver that. You yeah. can fake it till you make it yeah. publicly. But I think it's really a dangerous game to play with yourself if you start lying to yourself and believing that 
I don't know what how far that gets you. Other, I mean, maybe I don't. I can't judge anybody. I mean, maybe it sustains your your passion or interest or whatever your energy or something for it. I don't know. But I find as an artist, it's pretty dangerous to to mess around with that kind of to trick yourself into not understanding what you're actually doing. Um, and so that kind of brings me to the final the final thing I wanted to wrap this up with, which was I was on a I was on a phone interview with a journalist. Uh, let's see, what, where are we now? Oh, it would have been last, let's say last autumn. I was, on, I, I was talking to a journalist from London and uh, he was interviewing me about juggling for some contemporary circus publication. And I don't know how he got my name or why he called me, but somebody had given him my name as a reference and maybe he'd seen the my TED Talk thing on YouTube or something and like, oh, I'm going to talk to this guy. So he called me up for an interview to get a quote or two from some contemporary circus thing he was making for some newspaper in London. And as we were talking, it became clear that his questions were, were like, he already knew the answer to the question. You know, when he asked, when he asked the question, he put the answer in the question he asked. Right. right? And so one of the questions he asked was, and I, I can't remember the entire flow of the conversation, but he said, but really, how important are the objects to juggling? And the context of his question was, he was implying through the rest of his conversation, which I, I, I can't quote verbatim here, but he said, he was basically saying, look, the, the objects don't mean anything. It's all about the juggler, the performer that makes the juggling anything. Like, aren't, aren't, the, aren't the objects just frivolous almost? That the expression, because how can you express through objects? They're not alive. Mm -hmm. And so what meaning do the objects have? They, they're kind of meaningless, aren't they? Like in the end, isn't it just the personality of the juggler that's doing the thing? And I just had such an immediate reaction on the phone. Before I even knew what I was saying to, to myself, I didn't even have the thought in my head. It came out of my mouth. And I said, no, you're wrong. The, the objects mean everything in juggling. And I kind of was surprised for a moment. And in that, in, in that phrase, when I said it out loud, a lot of things connected in my head that I had been struggling with for, oh man, almost 20 years. <laughs> and so it was a huge, uh, it was a huge revolution in my work, um, in my process and in my life last autumn. And this idea that the, the object inside of juggling is the most important thing well, there's a few previous examples I can point out about that. Uh, one is that, uh, like I like I said, I used to I, I worked in Jerome Tama company for a while, and Jerome Tama has this system of juggling called Cubic, and it has different pages he would call them, and uh, I think how many pages? Nine pages? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And on the ninth page, you, you levitate, and the world is like it's like you're in Star Wars using Jedi mind tricks, and you're floating the spaceship, and you're floating on the rock with Yoda and stuff, right? But on page one, no zero. Is it page zero or one? I think one. I don't know. I don't know the system. Let's, but I would let's say one. Let's say one. Yeah. It's you don't have any objects, right? And you're just doing what what's more akin to ballet bar exercises. And it kind of looks like Tai Chi almost, where you're moving the body through space, but you don't have the ball. You don't have a ball or an object at all. You're going through the motions of juggling. And it was almost like a ballet bar exercise where you're doing a preparatory 
movement for the eventual technique of the art form. The only difference being that in cubic, you would start with no object, and then uh, you would go on to the next page where you would finally get to have an object and explore it in a very specific way. And I remember encountering his system when I worked for him, and I was thinking, well, going back to talking about definitions about what is juggling or definitions of anything, and I had to say for myself personally, I think that when you're juggling and you don't have an object, you're not juggling. I call it, I have to draw the line somewhere, right? And for me, it's dance. That's maybe a personal, I mean, not everyone in the world agrees with it. Obviously, Jerome doesn't because he says he has a juggling system called Cubic. And the first part of Cubic is to not have an object. It still must be juggling. But for me, I said, well, again, I have to draw the line around me. What is puppetry? What is dance? What is storytelling? What is whatever music? And at some point, you have to draw the line. You can't say, well, juggling without the object is still juggling. And then I say, okay, but what is dance? And then we're getting this idea of what is a definition and what do, what do we mean when we say a word to each other? Well, I was juggling yesterday. Well, are you going to think that maybe I was working with Jerome and I was just moving my arms around like I was doing Tai Chi? Probably not, I guess. So I drew the line for myself, at least in that moment in my life. And I said, well, okay, um, that's, that's not juggling there. Uh, so in that case, the object, going back to this journalist, well, that object is the most important thing to juggling because it kind of defines, it can be a part of the, the definition of what is juggling. And the other moment I can really point to about, about the object being one of the most important things in juggling, and of course, it's a certain style of juggling. And just to say, without getting so wrapped, like so confused, performing can incorporate lots of different things. Let me just say that again. You can juggle and dance and sing and do comedy and do mime and do whatever you want. You can combine those things. So we don't, there's the, not like when you go on stage, you have to just do one thing. You don't just have to do mime. You don't just have to sing. But this is a good example of a pure moment of juggling. And it's the Michael Motion uh, PBS special, Michael Motion in Motion. And near the end of the PBS special, he does dynamic manipulation of eight crystal balls in his hands. And he's wearing a flesh-colored dance belt, which is essentially a G-string. And he's nude, otherwise nude. And uh, first of all, this aired on public television in America back in the, was it 1990 when it aired? So already at least... In, at least in north <laughs> northwest Ohio, where I grew up, it's a pretty conservative area. It's it's a pretty bold move to be that nude at that time of life, at least in the world I grew up in. And I honestly, I this this is totally the truth. I'm telling you right now, no no joke. It doesn't just sound good for my story. This is really true. When Mike, when I talked to Michael about the, the, the TV special, and eventually he told me this. I did not ask him this. He told me. He said, the reason I wore a dance belt and no other clothes is because when I do my work, the crystal balls are the things that people look at. And I, I am only there to serve the object. And in one way, he hides behind the object. So much so, conceptually, that he literally goes on TV naked and never did it cross my mind. Honest, I'm serious, I swear to you, honestly, it never crossed my mind that he was basically naked on TV 
in Northwest Ohio in 1990. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's such a powerful message because it's not just a funny thing to say or it's not like a conceptual point that he, you know, does as a theoretical kind of funny thought experiment. I mean, he puts his money where his mouth is, man. He's like naked on TV. And when I saw that special for whatever reason, I mean, you can say I'm an idiot or I was, you know, whatever. I didn't, I didn't even think about it because I was watching the crystal balls. I was so entranced with what he was doing with the juggling. Mm. And there's another, that's, so that's another very clear moment where the object is the most important thing to, to juggling. But getting back to this phone interview with the journalist. So what I realized that day was that I had always told myself that juggling, uh, the object inside of juggling was the most important thing to juggling. But that's not how I lived my life. And I realized on that day, last autumn, that I had totally cut half of my process for my entire life. And I realized on my day what the rest of my process should be and will be and is now since I figured it out finally. And it's a, and it's a good way to explain this. Uh, what I thought about was to give another example where... So we have this friend, Ivar e Heckscher, and he's a genius. And he's kind of our mentor, you could say. And the fun thing about Ivar is that he's not a juggler. And that's kind of his best quality. <laughs> but the thing about Ivar is he's not a juggler, but he loves juggling. And the other good thing about Ivar is that he knows art inside and out. I mean, he knows art history perfectly. And so Ivar, he used to be the director of the circus school in, in Sweden. And he really, uh, he really got to love juggling above all the other circus disciplines. And he would always say crazy things about juggling because he didn't know the technique of juggling but he would always kind of dream about the, the expression of juggling or, or the art form of juggling and what it could mean. And he would, for example, he would say, he would say crazy stuff like, but as you juggle the balls, shouldn't they get bigger and smaller in the air as they move? <laughs> right? And the first reaction to that is, no, of course not. That's so stupid. That's impossible. That doesn't work. Therefore, why would you even talk about it? But then after you calm down and you start to think about it for a second, you go, yeah, that would be wonderful if the balls could get bigger and smaller as they move through the air. How can we do that? And then that has been worked. I mean, Denis Pommier did a thing with a big magnifying glass, whereas the balls roll across the floor, they get bigger towards the middle of the magnifying glass and then roll. It was like a big pane of glass, you know, mm -hmm. like a meter by one meter or something like that. And people have played with stuff like that to optically change yeah. the, the size of the object as it moves through space. Or then Eric Langekel had a genius thing we made for aliens where he filled a balloon, an un, uh, an, uh, a balloon that's not blown up, but he filled the un, uh, unblown up balloon with um, a, a deflated balloon with uh, vinegar and baking soda. And then he tied it off and then he started to juggle it and it worked. Because, you know, vinegar and baking soda, when you shake it up, it expands. It produces a gas. Oh. <laughs> so the balloon started off really small, and it actually inflated as he juggled it. It got bigger. Wow. How cool is that? That's super fun. Juggling is so unexplored. I mean, the other idea that, that Ivar had, because I was so, I get so, so I mean, I, I, I hope I take it better now. But back in the day when we met, I got so infuriated 
by his instigations by saying stuff like this because I'd be like, that's impossible. Why would you even bother to think about it? We're wasting time. But I, I remember, I remember on that example, I said to him, I remember asking him, but Ivar, what are you talking about? How can an object get bigger or smaller? And he said, well, maybe one way could be that you get, they're like Russian dolls. So that as you juggle them, layers fall off and they get smaller and smaller and smaller. Well, you look at my work today, what am I doing? Doing a bunch of images where string falls off a ball or ribbon falls off a ball and it changes color, it gets smaller, right? It's not completely fictional intellectual exercises that sound funny or whatever to be clever. It's real stuff. It's like real things to do. And so well, the other thing he used to say all the time was, man, you guys, you should really do the wooden juggling with the wooden balls in the wooden room. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and he would say, you should do the metal juggling in the metal room with the metal balls. And you should do the glass juggling in the glass room with the glass balls and do the glass juggling. So when he said that stuff by then, I mean, that was a few years after we met, a couple years after we met him. At that point, I, I mean, at least I was so impressed and in awe of his thought process that he could navigate around outside of these little boxes. Like I was talking about before, I feel like we're trapped in as jugglers just through being intuitive and being naive and be, you know being unconscious yeah. about our work. And so Ivar didn't have any of that history behind him. He didn't have any of this history of this tanglement of a hobbyist becoming a professional, tangling technique and performing, tangling up all these expectations and how what we hold valuable. He didn't have any of that. He was just like, I like juggling. It looks, it looks whatever. It, it speaks to him in some way. So he could just speak freely. And so when he would say stuff like, the metal juggling in the metal room with the metal balls. That would blow my mind. I would just be on fire and be like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> but honestly, until last whatever autumn, I didn't know what he meant. I didn't know what that really was. And that's the kind of the thing with Ivar is that once you would leave his presence, you would kind of, <laughs> you would lose something of that inspiration because it, it was with him, it was inside of him. It was, I didn't understand what he really meant. But on that day, uh, last autumn with the journalist, I figured out what he meant. I know what it is to do the metal juggling with the metal ball in the metal room. And I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so I've had this, uh, and I've told you this before many times, but I've had this dream that I want to have this studio in my life. And it's going to be a juggling studio. And what's going to be in the juggling studio is going to be, one of the walls is going to be full of every shape, prop, size, material, color possible. So I want to have these three different size rings from Babash, but I want to have them in every single shade of yellow, every single shade of purple, every single shade of orange, etc. And I want to have a juggling club that's uh, in every single shade of red, from pink to, to, to crimson or whatever you want to say, right? And I want to have a transparent juggling club. And I want to have a juggling club that's six inches long and one that's 12 inches long and one that's 21 inches long and one that's 36 inches long whatever in every color in every shape in every size you were talking uh, another episode you previously you were talking about the american club versus the european club i want to have those in different colors and different lengths and i want to have them made out of rubber and one made out of glass and one made out of metal one made out of wood right so i have this catalog of shapes materials, sizes, textures, 
and qualities. Centers of gravity. I want to have clubs with different centers of gravity. Same thing for rings, lopsided rings or whatever, right? That you, they look symmetrical, but they're weighted heavier on one side. I mean, we did that with Renegade Design Lab at one point with the fat rings from Tom, right? And I want to have this catalog of objects so that I can do the second half of my process that I've never done before, which has been like this up until this moment. It goes like this. I go into a room. Let's say I take three balls as an easy example. And I say, okay, today I'm going to research. Haha. I'm going to research uh, body throws, whatever, right? I'm going to go do some juggling. And I make up a new trick for whatever reason. Maybe it's a shoulder throw, back cross, pirouette, whatever. There's many different ways to make a new trick, right? Like maybe it's a combination of old pieces put together in a new way, or maybe it's a new concept. I find a new sort form of cascade or whatever, right? A new technique, a new throw, a new catch, whatever. I make a new trick. I got those three balls. I made my three ball trick, right? Until last autumn, I go home. I'm done. I did my work. I'm a juggler. It's my work. It's my job. Okay, I, there. I'm done with my job. Cool. I did my... I'm, I'm good. No, if I'm an artist and if the object is actually important to the work, then what I do is I take that trick now and I do the last half. And I go to my wall, my catalog, and I say, okay, I did this trick with three balls. Now, what are the qualities that make this trick expressive? I don't have to articulate them concretely. And hopefully over time, over practicing the, like this, I'm going to get better at this process, right? I'm gonna, it's going to be refined. And maybe other people, maybe like you start doing this process too, and we can compare notes. I don't know. We can evolve the, the art form and take a step forward as the, in the culture. But what I do is I say, I got this new three ball trick. Well, there's a quality about it that maybe I wish those three balls were more yellow. <laughs> I don't know. We haven't tried it yet, but I'm an artist. I'm working with expression. So I go to my catalog. I take three balls that are yellow now, and they're maybe a darker yellow. And then I do the trick again and I see how it looks. I see what it expresses, what it gives. And I go, oh, no, that wasn't quite right. Maybe they should be green. And I do the green, etc. right? And then I go, no, one yellow and two green, except I try it again. I go, well, actually, the yellow ball should be a ring, mm. right? And then I do, I do the same trick, the same technique, the same concept, but I do it two balls and a ring. And maybe that ring should be a little bit bigger, or maybe that ring should be floppy. And maybe the other ball shouldn't be a ball, it should be a cube. And that cube should be made out of metal rods, Etc. Whatever, right? And the other ball should bounce. Right, right. And I do that same trick, but I actually care about the objects. Then I come to some sort of real expression through juggling, through the objects, and not just through this idea of technique and skill. And so that was a real... I mean, that, I mean, this is really a truth that I... And I know what Ivar means then. Let's do the metal juggling with, in the metal room with the metal balls. So my studio with my catalog of objects, it should also have walls that can change color. I should have different kinds of lights. I can have different kinds of textures of the background because juggling is a relationship of three things. It's of the object, it's of your body, and it's of your environment. And that's what, that's what juggling is. And I, I, I always just got to the trick, to the technique, to the concept, but I never got to the object because it was inconvenient. Mm. There was no process set up to, to to take that next step. You know, I couldn't, I can't, I don't have the studio. 
I don't have this catalog of objects. I'm starting to slowly build one. I mean, you blew my mind when I went and told you this last autumn on tour. We had so many fun ideas out of this. And I thought I was, I was kind of, I have to admit, I was kind of embarrassed. I was a little bit ashamed to actually tell you for real about this object catalog. Because I thought there was just, you were just going to laugh at me. Be like, Gilligan, you so stupid. You're never going to have that. That's just not even anything to even consider. No. You know what you said? You remember what you said? You said, oh yeah, that sounds like when you go to an art school and they have a material catalog. And I said, what are you talking about? I about fall over. What do you mean material catalog? You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a room in every art school there they have, you know, maybe a sample of every type of plastic and every type of color and every type of fabric and every type of metal. And you can go into this materials catalog and kind of see what kind of plastic do I want to use to make this thing I'm going to try to make and whatever. It's not a stupid, it's not a, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not an outlandish idea. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, and, and not, a, not only is it not an outlandish idea, it's a completely established idea Yeah. <laughs> in, in other forms of art. Which, going back to your idea about elevating our art form or whatever, validating our art form, kind of wrapping this together and talking about mapping other concepts from other art forms onto this art form because it is so young. Well, what, what if we would have played that game 20 years ago? It could have saved me 20 years to come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. And you could say, oh, well, you know, in art school, they have this material catalog. And we say, oh, wouldn't it be funny and juggling if we had an a object catalog? And you had, you know, you had a ball made out of wood and one made out of copper. And we did all those things in Manipulation Research Laboratory. We tried to make some of these combinations with a wooden ball, a steel ball, and a ceramic ball, a glass ball. And it wasn't frivolous. I mean, uh, um, uh, results got produced, right. is what I mean. And so when, you, when I say now, when I give you this example, and I say, um, yeah, I'm going to try that three-ball trick with some balls that are, are a deeper shade of yellow, I can't tell you right now what that means because I've never done it before and I haven't worked with color before and I haven't seen anybody work with color in that way before. We don't know what it gives. It's much easier to talk about qualities of shapes where uh, Tom and Iman give me this triangle-shaped ring. Well, I can suddenly hook a triangle through another hook because it has a point on it. You can't hook a ring through another ring because it's round. So in terms of a physical shape, I can be more, I don't know, intuitive, but I can kind of guess and say, well, yeah, maybe if we change the shape, it's going to give a different quality. But in terms of keeping the same trick and the same concept really at the core and changing the color of something, I don't know yet what it gives, but it's going to give something. I promise you that. Because juggling is a visual art form. And it, and just by its nature, it, it's going to give you something. And I just want to say, um, I know we, 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 we wrapping this up, but a couple of things that... Um, that you brought up when we were talking about this last autumn, when you talked to me about the, the material catalog was we, you had this idea that, you know, when you go to art school these days, art school is post media. And what that means is you don't go to art school for painting anymore. You go to art school and you learn some painting, but you also learn some sculpture, but you also learn some 3d printing and maybe some metal work and maybe some woodworking and whatever else you learn. And then, you have your artistic idea. Well, what do I want to explore? What do I want to express? Well, okay, my, my concept is this. So now what technique will I use to express that concept? Oh, maybe it should be a painting in the end, but maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it should be embroidery. Maybe it should be needlework or something. Or maybe it should just be a slogan that I, I put on social media. Maybe it's a hashtag, right? 
it's post media. It's beyond the media. Now we, we, we're using all the medias available to us as an artist to express ourselves. So there was this funny, so <laughs> we kind of had that funny idea of mapping that onto juggling. I'm post prop because the conversation came up that one of uh, one of our uh, previous student in the school, um, in the Stockholm circus school, at least as a, who was a juggler had written a paper for something, uh, not for us, uh, but they had written a paper for the school that said, I'm a ball juggler. That was the kind of the headline. I'm a ball juggler, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was so depressing to be so young and to kind of already um, limit yourself to saying I'm a ball juggler. Just say you're a juggler. You work with balls, but you could also work with chairs or cups or or whatever you want to work with. But no, I'm a ball juggler. And uh, not to get stuck on that specific example, but it was kind of a moment where we said, oh, but wouldn't it be funny? Or not be funny, but shouldn't we be post-object <laughs> inside of juggling? We could be post-object. And then if you want to go even more extreme on that, you can say with, with circus, you could say, um, I'm post-discipline. Yeah. And that's pretty cool too. Because circling back around that, this idea that um, you have to do comedy in America to have a career as a juggler. Well, here's the thing. Lots of people I grew up with who I knew as I was a teenager growing up in Ohio, a lot of people I knew um, who were performing or getting into performing as, as I was too. And I can also speak of personal experience as well as what was happening around me because what, what would happen was there was all these jugglers, including me, we would go practice our seven ball cascade. That was a thing to do or practice the five club back crosses. Those were kind of like the top tricks that you wanted to do. But then we would go do the show and we would tell this joke. Well, we spent all of our time working on the five club back crosses. You know how much time I spent working on my joke? Zero. <laughs> the last time I worked on the joke was the last show I did. So you start to get in, into your, into your, into your process what is actually important what am i actually doing you want to be post-discipline inside of circus well yeah maybe you're a juggler but maybe your idea is better suited for handstand maybe you want to be a student in the school at the lido and you want to be a juggler where you don't even juggle maybe you should go to theater school <laughs> maybe you should go to mime school i don't know but just to say that there's other forms of how to express a concept. And just because you identify as a juggler, again, going back, that's back to this idea of what's your identity. Are you an artist? Are you a juggler? Are you a circus artist? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but this idea that you could be post-discipline, I think is also really important, not just as an intellectual exercise, but also in reality of, if I would go back and look at my teenage self now, and <laughs> I could say, I mean, if, I mean, I'm, up until the age of 16, really, is when I was just doing, I was juggling plungers and knives and telling jokes and 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 um, kind of copying what I saw around me in terms of how to perform. And I would say, hey, are you really into this joke stuff? Because if you are, maybe tomorrow you don't go to the gym and practice the five balls overhead pirouette. But instead you go to the library and start to read maybe a book by whatever, Steve Martin or what I mean, whatever, yeah. right? Like go be to read it go work on the joke part of it too. It's just to say, so that's, that's kind of this idea of post post prop or post discipline. I thought that was like a really nice way to, um, to kind of dream about it. And we also had this idea then following on from that, which was, uh, 
you know, Matan Pressburg, he, because I was talking about this catalog of, of the studio, which have a catalog of objects that, that were of different colors, of all the shades of different colors. And Matan Pressburg, he came out what, a year or two ago with this idea of color coding, he calls it. Color coding. Which means, uh, which meant doing a, a juggling trick, let's say, with five balls, and two of them would be red and three would be green. And the, and the red balls would be doing low throws and the, and the green balls are doing high throws or whatever. It's a way to kind of delineate technique based upon orbits that would be of similar colors. And so he had this idea of color coding. And in the same conversation we talked about post-discipline, it was also, well, why, why stop at color coding? Why not do prop coding? Yeah, object coding. Object coding. Well, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, you could code in many on many different ways. Temp temperature coding. I mean, that was an idea from Eric Langekel, uh for all the fun. I went to direct the juggling on that show. And he wanted to literally have a microwave on stage and, and microwave potatoes. And you have this, this, you know, this phrase, hot potato. Well, he wanted to juggle hot potato. He wanted to juggle objects that were literally burning. These, all these qualities that, you know, you want to code by color, why not code by temperature? Why not code by viscosity or, you know, texture or magnetism? <laughs> and pick a quality and code by that. That would be a really fun way. So just to kind of, kind of put a bow on all of this, um, I want to I want to end with this little kind of story about Brian Eno because we're getting into this kind of obviously very esoteric conceptual <laughs> kind of juggling you want to code by magnetism or whatever you want to code by the damp dampness of each object <laughs> like the objects that are more wet are are being thrown higher I don't know so but do you remember in uh MRL3 we had this idea of site swap by weight that was so nice. We did five, three, one, where the five was a ping pong ball, right? And the three was a, um, I think a golf ball, and the one was a, a heavier ball or whatever. Mm. It meant that you could use the same amount of force of your muscle <laughs> physically to move each ball. For every throw, yeah. Yeah, but because the, the ping pong ball is lighter, it would just go, it would naturally go to the height of a five or whatever. Right, right, you could code right. by weight. Yeah. Right? But now we're getting into this pretty extreme uh, from where we are right now in everyday life with juggling. We're going in pretty extreme direction in terms of tricks, for example. And I said my first half of my process I'd done my whole life was I had made the trick, but I hadn't done the last half of my process, which was with the object. Yeah. So um, Brian Eno is one of, my, one of my favorite artists, and I love reading about his process. And uh, he talked about growing up and going to art school and his relationship to art, visual art, and his relationship to music. And he said that when he started to get into music, um, you know, kind of around his time of getting into that stuff, we had John Cage. And John Cage did the piece of uh, four minutes and 33 seconds, which is four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. But of course, there is never any real silence. The silence is filled with incidental sounds, the ambient noises, uh, the audience members coughing or a fly buzzing or whatever. And that became the music. And you had all these other music concrete artists and I mean, many, many other people besides John Cage, of course. Um, but what it meant was that the world Brian Eno was entering into in terms of music, it meant that pretty much at that point in, in time, any sound 
was considered to be music. And up until that point, there was still that argument that people were debating about. Um, oh, it's noise. It's not music. It's noise. Hmm. There's a certain type of sound that was qualified as music. But John Cage and all his contemporaries destroyed that, completely destroyed that notion. And they basically said, look, 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 we're, we're past this discussion now. Any sound you hear can be considered music. And Brian Eno said that as soon as he realized that, he said, well, this is no longer a way forward with music. Because, of course, even today, there's still an infinite number of people exploring, quote-unquote, new sounds for music. That, didn't, that process didn't stop. But he said, conceptually, once any sound could be music, conceptually, that process is finished. Yeah. You, can, you can keep going down that pathway and finding new sounds and new sounds and new sounds and new sounds. That's not evolving your art form, right? Conceptually, you're, you're done. Right. Well, anything's music. Okay, well, done. Yeah. <laughs> How about this sound? Beep. Yeah, it's also music. Yeah. It doesn't add any new information to the conversation. Yeah. And when I was reading about that, I really thought that, especially in, 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 in relationship to your definition of juggling, it's not relying on technique. It's a, it's a context. The technique has to be in a context for it to be juggling. So therefore, in many ways, you could almost have any technique be juggling if it's in the right context. If you see that if you see that connection to the default form, that technique is juggling. Therefore, it's the death of the trick, man. Hmm. If any if any technique in that context can be associated, if Ben walking on the beach can just throw an apple in the air, hmm. and that's juggling, we're done. We're done. It's the death of the trick. I mean, so what does that mean? Well, I don't. Let's not get into that. But let me. We can say what Brian Eno react how he reacted to the death of the sound. Yeah. Right. And he said, okay, so instead of me finding new sounds, what I want to do is I want to find new systems. I want to create systems that will create music. So it meant that he, that's when he invented gener generative music. So he can't tell you the outcome that he can't tell you specifically the outcome of those sounds, but he can tell you how they started. Hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, that was obviously genius move of that dude to say, okay, it's the death of the sound as a new way forward in music. Well, what am I going to do? I mean, he was a kid. He was basically a kid when he thought of that. And he looked around at the, at the art form and he said, okay, well, one thing I could do is I could not determine how the sounds are going to turn out exactly in terms of composing them, but I could start a process by which those sounds could be generated. Mm -hmm. And then he invented generative music. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe that's just a little a little thought experiment to end this on. But just to say that if we have the death of a trick, like really is, is the trick, what, what is the, what's after that? <laughs> what's post-trick? And, and, and I mean, Ivar Heckscher always gives us the answer. He's given us the answer all the time. And he always says, you just have to do, you have to make art that's necessary. So you need to do, so you, that you can do another three club trick. Okay. Mm. Is it is it needed? Do we really need that three club trick? And in what context is that three three club trick needed? Not that I'm not saying it's not, but just saying that there's there's a there's a question that needs to be answered now. So well, whatever, man. I'm gonna talk to you more later. All right. Peace out. Thanks for the combo. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs>